0: Today, John continues his series on the book of Revelation with this message, The Background of the Battle of Armageddon.
1: Today, we're going to be studying the background to the Battle of Armageddon. Next Sunday morning, we're going to be thinking about the battle itself. What's going to happen in this battle? What will be the outcome of this battle? But this morning, we're thinking about how does the battle ever happen to begin with? In other words how do all these people get to this place where this battle is going to be fought? And so the two questions we're thinking about today is, where will this battle be? And secondly, Who will be there? So, if you have your Bibles, please open them to the book of Revelation and let's try to answer those two questions. Question one is easier to answer than question two, but I want to go ahead and put it out there. The battle of Armageddon will be fought in northern Israel, not far from the Sea of Galilee, but it will be fought in a valley called the Valley of Jezreel, the Jezreel Valley, or the Valley of Megiddo. In ancient times, there was a thriving city known as Megiddo. In fact, Megiddo was considered to be the most important city in the ancient world. It was the crossroads, really, for many nations, and you'd have to go through Megiddo to get to where you're wanting to go, and as far as trade was concerned, it was a major trade route, and so whoever controlled Megiddo controlled the trade, the commerce, the money of the day, and so it was all about this city and the valley, what we might call the plain of land, the big open field, as it were, that surrounded Megiddo. If you've been to Israel, you have certainly been down into that valley, Maybe you remember the story in the Old Testament where we read about Elijah, and he had that showdown with those prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and they were trying to determine who was the true God, and we read about that in 1 Kings. And of course, the God of heaven proved himself to be the true God, and Elijah ended up killing these prophets of the false god Baal up on top of Mount Carmel. Well, at the bottom of that mountain is the old city of Megiddo. It's just the ruins there today. But out in that open space, that's the Valley of Jezreel or the Valley of Megiddo. And historians tell us that more blood has been shed on that piece of land than anywhere in the whole world. Because through the year, through the centuries, countries and kings have fought to have control of Megiddo so that they could have control of the commerce, the trade, and all of the money. Napoleon actually said that that valley is the world's most natural battleground. It's an open space, but it's surrounded by mountains, and so whoever control that controlled the world. It's about 60 miles north of Jerusalem in northern Israel. That's where the battle will be fought. Now, the more difficult question for us to try to answer this morning is who will be there? We know that Jesus is coming out of heaven. We know that we'll be following him out of heaven, but who is going to be on the losing side of this battle? Well, go to Revelation chapter 16. Let's begin there this morning. The battle of Armageddon is actually described for us in chapter 19, but the background, or at least much of the background for this battle, begins in chapter number 16. Now, Remember, the battle of Armageddon will take place at the end of the seven-year period of tribulation. And so when we come back to chapter 16, we're coming to the end of the tribulation and we're reading now about how the stage is being set for this battle. So let's look at it. Verse number 12 of chapter 16. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl, these are the bold judgments coming on the earth, on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Now, let's just stop right there and think about the Euphrates River. The Euphrates River is sometimes just called the Great River because it is the Great River. It's the ultimate river. In fact, the the, uh, Euphrates River runs 1,800 miles. Think about that. 1,800 miles from Mount Ararat in the north. That's at the foot of that mountain. That's where the river begins, and it runs down and dumps off into the Persian Gulf. And so it goes through several countries. And so the Bible is saying here that at the end of the great tribulation, God is going to dry up this great river. Think about that. A river that runs 1800 miles, God is going to dry it up. Now, why is God drying it up? He's drying it up so the kings of the east can cross that river and get to that valley of Megiddo in northern Israel. Now, who are the kings of the east? Well, if you go home today and get a map or a globe, I did this last week. I said, I want to just see this river on a globe and I want to see which countries are immediately to the east of it because certainly, or at least most probably, some of these countries would be included in this confederation of nations that will be crossing the dried up Euphrates. It's interesting, immediately to the east of the Euphrates River is the nation of Iran. Now we know through the years that Iran... Has not had very many good things to say about Israel. There's constant tension today between Israel and Iran. To the east of Iran is China, and uh, China kind of feels the same way toward Israel. In fact, if you'll turn back in chapter number nine, I'll show you an interesting verse, and many people think that this verse is a reference to the Chinese army who will cross the dried up river and come into the valley of Megiddo. Verse 16. Now the number of the army of horsemen, now watch this, was 200 million. And again, many believe that is a reference to the Chinese military, which is huge, so that they now would be part of this eastern confederation of nations coming to the valley of Megiddo. And then to the east and to the north, really more north and east of China, you have the nation of Russia. And you know, just from watching the news and reading the paper, that Russia and uh, Israel don't have a very peaceful relationship. So isn't it interesting that when the Bible talks about these kings of the east, it could well be these nations that even today, many of the leaders of those nations are not very fond of Israel. But lest we pick too much on Iran and China and Russia. Let's read on in chapter 16, verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that's the devil, out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs, now watch this, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And so, yes, it is true that the kings of the East, most probably Iran, China, Russia, but it's not just those nations. It's all the nations of the world and the kings from all those nations of the world. Keep in mind, at this point in the tribulation, in order to be a ruler of the world, you would have to be in... A partnership with the Antichrist. You would have to have his blessing. In fact, you would have had to have pledged your allegiance to the Antichrist. And so it won't just be the kings from those three nations. It'll be the kings from all the European and the leaders from all the European nations. It will be the kings from Canada, from Mexico, from the United States even, it says here, all the kings of the earth, and they will bring their armies, in some cases their entire armies, in some cases a representation of their armies, and they will come to this uh, valley of Megiddo. Now look at, it, look at it, the end of verse 14 again, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Now, as that's happening on the earth, all these kings are making their way and many of their armies are making their way to the valley of Megiddo. What is Jesus saying? Well, look in verse 15, because right in the midst of this, Jesus speaks. And he said, behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And so Jesus is saying, hey, When you see all these nations gathering to the valley of Megiddo, know this, I'm about to come out of heaven. Heaven's going to be open, and I'm coming back, and I'm going to end this battle. Look in verse 16. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew, Armageddon. That's the only place in all the Bible where you you will find the word Armageddon. Now, the question is not only who will be there, because that's who's going to be there. And by the way, all these people are unsaved at this time because they are in partnership or have been in partnership with the Antichrist. Now here's a good question. Why will these nations come to that valley in northern Israel? Now, I, we clearly just read in the verse up there that these demon spirits are going to persuade many of them to come and, and to, for the, to get to the battle, uh, the Valley of Megiddo. So that's part of it. But, but what will be the motivation in the leaders' minds of these nations that would make them want to go and take their armies there? Well, think about it. At this point in the tribulation, so many judgments have happened. So many people have been killed. So many... Th- horrible things have happened on the earth and the people living on the earth will know either from the antichrist or they're just figured out themselves it seems to be they will think to themselves the god of israel who's causing all these plagues who's causing all these problems and so they will think if we can just destroy israel then maybe we can put an end to this All through history, the nation of Israel has been a hated nation by the majority of the world. Now, for those of us who are Christians, that's not true. And many others who are not Christians love Israel uh, as well. Certainly the Jewish people love Israel, but even some who are not Jewish and not Christians, they love Israel because it is a democracy in the midst of a world where there are really not very many democracies at all. But nonetheless, the nation of Israel has been persecuted from its inception. We know that the devil hates God. If you believe that, say amen. Certainly, the devil hates God. But he hates everything associated with God. And Israel is the nation most associated with God because God gave birth to that nation. So Satan, through the years, has tried to destroy Israel. Not only does the devil hate God the Father, but the devil hates Jesus. And so the devil has always been trying to destroy Jesus. This is why as soon as Jesus was born, King Herod under the influence of the devil had all the babies two years old and under in Bethlehem killed. Why? Because he was trying to kill Jesus. He had heard that the Messiah had been born and he wanted to wipe him out. Well, that was clearly motivated by the devil. And so at this point in the tribulation, there are some scholars who say, well, the motivation for all these kings coming to Northern Israel, they're trying to come together and destroy the nation of Israel because they're taking out on the people of God what, the people, what their God has done by sending all these judgments and sending all these plagues. So that's possibly a reason. Some say, and we'll get more into this next week, that at this point in the tribulation, they believe what's really going to be happening is that many of these world leaders are going to turn against the Antichrist. Remember, at the beginning of the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to make a peace treaty he's going to say, if you'll follow me, there'll be peace in the world. And yet seven years after that, he's broken the treaty. All hell is breaking loose on the earth. And so the Antichrist popularity is all all obviously going down the drain. And so perhaps what's going to happen is many of these leaders are going to say, we pledged our allegiance to the Antichrist. He has not delivered on his promises. And what we need to do is gather together and defeat and destroy him. So what I'm saying is there appears to be confusion even amongst the people who are going to this valley for the great battle. Why are we going here? Are we going here to destroy Israel? Are we going here to destroy the Antichrist? Are we going here to destroy each other? It's confusion. The dev, wherever the devil is, there's always confusion, and I believe there'll be great confusion as to why they're even in this valley. Now, go to chapter 19, because I want to show you, as, as this whole group has gathered in the valley of Megiddo, an amazing thing happens from above. Chapter 19, verse number 11. John's having this vision now of the end of the world. And he said, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is Jesus. And we'll get more into this part next week, but let's just read it today. Verse 12, His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen remember this fine linen is what we receive at the marriage of the lamb in heaven it's a it's a we'll each receive a robe and the thickness of that robe and the length of that robe and the quality of that robe will be determined by our righteous acts how faithfully we have walked with God how faithfully we have served God during our time on earth. It's part of our reward. And it says of this fine linen, white and clean. And it says that they followed him. That is, we're following Jesus on white horses. So Jesus is on a horse and we're on horses following him out of heaven. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it, he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so, while... All this mayhem is taking place in the valley, and all these kings are bringing all their armies to this valley, either to destroy Israel, to destroy the Antichrist, or to destroy each other. There's great confusion in this valley. In the midst of that, heaven opens, and Jesus is descending on a white horse. And so when this happens, the Antichrist looks up to heaven. He senses the confusion in the valley. He even senses that many of the people want to destroy him. And so in verse 19, notice what the Antichrist decides to do. John said, and I saw the beast that is the Antichrist, the kings of the earth and their armies, gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And so as they're all gathered there, and they look up and see Jesus, the Antichrist, gets everybody's attention, and he unites them around this. He says, hey, let's fight him. And that will be the last bad decision the Antichrist ever had. Because when he decides now... To engage Jesus, and of course, Jesus by this point has already decided to engage him in war, it'll be a quick war. And we'll see it more next week that it says there's gonna be a sword that goes out of the mouth of Jesus and the battle will end just like that. Remember, the Bible says the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword. Will it be a literal sword that comes out of the mouth of Jesus? Or will it be the sword of God's word where Jesus just says something and his words put down the Antichrist? One of my favorite preachers said he believes that when Jesus looks at the Antichrist, he's going to say two words, drop dead, and it's all over with right there. So I kind of like that because the word of God is just that sharp and just that powerful. But the point is when the Antichrist looks up and sees Jesus, he's going to say, let's fight him. And Jesus is going to put him down and the battle will be over just like that that, and so it won't take long. Now, as we think about all these people in this valley, remember, none of them are saved. They have all pledged their allegiance to the Antichrist. It is a horrible setting, and it is an evil group. There are three words that I think describe what's going on in this valley. First of all, there's wickedness. Second of all, there's confusion. They don't even know why they're there. And thirdly, there's arrogance. Because the Antichrist says, let's fight Jesus. We're going to fight the creator of the world and the king of the universe. But at the battle of Armageddon, think about this. You still listen? Say amen. amen. Wickedness will encounter righteousness. Confusion will encounter truth. And arrogance will encounter the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And Jesus will end this battle. If this battle were a boxing match, I would say as soon as they rang the bell, it was over with. And we don't have to do anything. All we have to do is follow Jesus. Now, it's interesting to me as I think about the Battle of Armageddon, as I said at the beginning, you can feel in the world today anger, tension, nervousness. You can feel that the world is coming to a climax. And this is the climax that it's ultimately headed to. On one of our trips to Israel, I believe it was in 2006, we were down in that valley of Megiddo. We had been on top of Mount Carmel. Our guide had lectured to us about Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and we got on the bus. We went down into that valley and got out of the bus, and he gathered us for a lecture about Megiddo. He talked to us about the ancient city. He talked to us about where we were. He explained things, and he's explaining that Megiddo in Old Testament times was not only the most important city in the world, but it was one of the most wicked cities in the world. And the reason it was so wicked is because it was occupied by Canaanites who worshiped the false god Baal. And to them, Baal was the god of fertility. Baal was the god who caused it to rain. Baal was the god who caused families to have children. Baal, anything that had to do with fertility, it always came from Baal. Well, our guide explained to us that when the Canaanites were living in Megiddo, worshiping Baal, they did some of the most wicked, ungodly things that you can imagine. One of the things that they did was they practiced sexual immorality, adultery, fornication, anything you can imagine, out in the open, hoping that Baal would see them doing that and that as a result of that, Baal would go find his mistress and they would come together and they would populate the region there with more children and they would send down rain and they would bless them. So they were practicing sexual immorality, trying to get a blessing from their God. It's unthinkable to us, but it's what happened then. Not only that, when a a little baby boy was born into a family, those parents would take that little infant and sacrifice that infant in the fire to the false god, Baal. And their logic was, if we give to Baal our firstborn son, then Baal will recognize our faithfulness to him. We'll sacrifice one son. He may give us 10. 10. And so wickedness, I mean unthinkable wickedness, ungodliness, vileness was happening in Megiddo. And our guide is explaining that to us. And I'm standing there and I'm thinking, I never knew that. I never knew how bad it was in Megiddo. And then the guide said, but if we could look across that valley, just 10 miles from the city of Megiddo is the city of Nazareth. Nazareth, of course, is the city where Jesus grew up. That was Jesus' hometown, Nazareth. Our God said this. He said, think about where we are. Think about what is represented in this location. He said on this side of the valley, from that picture, the near side of the valley, Satan, through the worship of Baal, was having a heyday in this region. Across that valley, a few years later, after Jesus had been born, a little 10, seven, eight, nine, ten, 11-year-old boy was running up and down those hills of Nazareth. Total innocence, complete purity, the ultimate expression of holiness and godliness. He said, think about what I'm saying. On one side of the valley, Satan is having a heyday. On the other side of the, ba- of the valley, the Son of God, as a little boy, is running up and down those hills. And he said to us, and it gave me chills when he said it, and it may have that effect on you today. He said, one of these days, at the Battle of Armageddon, they'll meet in the middle. Wickedness versus righteousness. Confusion versus truth. Arrogance versus the King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. As I thought about that, just standing in that valley and looked up into heaven and thought about how Jesus one day will descend and we'll be following him out of heaven to come to the earth and to rule and to reign with him for a thousand years before ultimately the new heaven and the new earth comes down to the earth. We've got all that to cover yet in our study of Revelation. I I thought this to myself. When the Battle of Armageddon takes place, it's going to be very obvious who's on which side. Because those of us who are on the Lord's side are going to be clothed in fine linen, white. We're going to be riding on white horses following Jesus. It won't be hard to to identify us as followers of Jesus. And everybody down in that valley, it won't be hard to identify them as the followers of the Antichrist, the rejectors of God, the enemies of Jesus. It'll be clear who's on the Lord's side and who's not.
0: Will you be on the Lord's side? If you are trusting in Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you will be. Maybe today you need to confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Won't you pray with me now? Dear Jesus, I believe that you love me and that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Right now, I ask you to come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, and I trust you to do it. Please make me the person you created me to be. In your name I pray. Amen. For those of you who have prayed to receive Christ as your Savior today, we would love to know about it and to rejoice with you in your decision. Please share your decision with us by sending an email to info at peacebybelieving.org or by giving us a call at 1-800-337-0157. Thank you for joining us today and we look forward to you being with us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.